Today's Game of Thrones feedback show is sponsored by CanvasPeople.com. Winter is here on Game of Thrones, but summer is here for us with lots of barbecues, vacations, parties, and everybody's taking a lot of pictures at all these places. But what you want to do with the great pictures that you get this summer is use CanvasPeople.com to hang them up on your walls with a beautiful canvas photo. You know, the Starks commemorate their loved ones with statues down in the crypt and nobody goes down there except for Littlefinger just lurking around. What you want to do is put these pictures of your loved ones up on the walls. Canvas People's got a great offer for you to try out with special $0 pricing when you use our promo code POST at canvaspeople.com. You'll get an 11 by 14 canvas photo that you upload from your phone or your camera and they will make it for you for $0. You just pay the shipping. It's less than 20 bucks for you to try out. Canvas People so confident that you're going to like it just like the millions of people that have tried it already that they're willing to give you this great special offer. Normally that 11 by 14 photo is $69.99 plus shipping but for our listeners they'll reduce that that price to zero dollars. So to get this special offer, just go to canvaspeople.com, upload that photo, select the 11 by 14 sides, enter the promo code POST, P-O-S-T, in the promo code box to get that special zero dollars pricing. That's at canvaspeople.com, promo code POST. Game of Thrones Season 7 Episode 2 Stormborn is still over, but we're just getting started answering your feedback questions here on the Game of Thrones Poster Recap Feedback Show. And now here are the two guys who have been working extensively with a Nerf crossbow. I am Rob Sestrino. Here's Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? I'm concerned. I don't know that this is going to be powerful enough to take down a dragon. I've shot a lot of things with this Nerf bow, and it's like... Not even penetrating a piece of paper. I feel like we're in trouble here. Well, we are dealing with a paper mache dragon. What do you think the chances Uh, are? I mean, I think like a few Nerf bow, uh, like if we had like like a small army of Nerf bows Mm -hmm. and like Nerf archers, then I feel like we might have a shot. But I think we're going to need at least a dozen of these things. We'll have Maester Kyburn start to work on that to get us ready for uh, the impending paper mache invasion. But Josh, we have a lot of great feedback from our listeners here after the second episode of Game of Thrones this season. Oh, yeah. Well, there's still so much to talk about. I think you said it on the Deep Dive show, like very dense episode. There's still so much to to unpack. There's still so much to discuss. I feel like we haven't even gotten into the meat of the matter and we're three podcasts deep this week. Mm-hmm. So We've got we've got a lot to chew on. Lots to lots to devour this week. Yes, like a delicious chicken pot pie. Yeah. <laughs> God, I, I still I can't get that transition out of my mind. That was so gross. Just going from like healing gray scabs to to just like diving into a chicken pot pie. It was just really inspired stuff. Yeah, we did get an email about that I didn't use in the show that one of our listeners, uh, Dominic M, said that he would like to call that type of editing 
Austin Powers editing where you go from uh, <laughs> one thing to uh, something related with new characters in the second scene. Is that what you would officially call it, Josh? I thought that it was uh, going to be more of a reference to like that scene in Austin Powers where uh, where uh, Mrs. Kensington is just like eating the hot dog and there's like the balloon. No, Ramsey already that's did a- that. Ramsey already did <laughs> care of that right, back yeah. in uh, yeah, Ramsey, three. Ramsey Bolton is the, uh, is the Vanessa Kensington of the Game of Thrones universe. Universe. Yes. Is Goldmember a Lannister? <laughs> yes, of course. Of yeah. course he is. Okay. Yeah, we need to find out who the fembots are. I'm not sure. I'm not <laughs> sure. Somebody's undercover here. All right. Well, we've got a lot of stuff to get to. Of course, you guys have been sending in your questions all week long. G-O-T at postshowrecaps.com. We've got a lot of voicemails as well. Postshowrecaps.com slash voicemail. We also fished through the comments from Sunday night's episode. So we have some of those as well here on the feedback show. Of course, uh, Stephen Fishback and I will be live after the episode uh, this Sunday night. Check it out at postshowrecaps.com or make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Postshowrecaps.com slash G-O-T iTunes. All right, Josh, uh, anything burning in your mind after our deep dive uh, from Tuesday? Anything burning? Um... Other than the Greyjoy fleet, <laughs> yeah. that's on fire. That that's is. on fire. But it's lit. <laughs> it's lit. Potentially, uh, Varys will be on fire if he ever betrays Daenerys. Yeah, uh, that's that's certainly something that's in the offing. No, I think you know. Let's let's just dive into some of this feedback that we've got here, and we'll see uh, if there's any fires that require our attention. Okay, we'll ask the Lord of Light. How about this? How about this, Rob? How about this as a place to start in terms of fires? This is a question that we got from Amanda of House Fallon who wanted to know about Samuel Tarly, your boy and mine, and wondering if this guy is the most important character in the story. This is from Amanda. Can you address the awesome theory going around that Sam is the one who ends up writing a Game of Thrones? Rob, have you heard this theory before? Yes, I did uh, see this yesterday. Can you set this up for the people? So there is a scene where Sam is talking with the Archmaester after they initially look at what's going on with Jorah. And Sam has some questions that he wants to uh, pick the brain, not the scabs of the Archmaester. But maybe that as well. Eventually. You might want to pick that sure. Yeah. Once you start, very hard to stop. And hard so to stop picking. <laughs> he wants to ask him about uh, a procedure he wants to do with Jorah. But the Archmaester is busy talking about a certain history book that he is writing. And he talks about this with Sam. This is a clip from Sunday night's episode. Might be useful. Vathan was a dreadful writer, but an excellent researcher. Archmaester, I wonder if... And this one. Mr. Four was quite the opposite. A brilliant stylist who invented half the stories he tells. Um, I wanted to ask you. You're going to write histories, Tarly. You have to do the research. If you won't be able to read your histories, you need a bit of style. I'm not writing a chronicle of the wars following the death of King Robert I, so it can sit on a shelf unread. But you don't like the title? What would you call it then? Possibly something a bit more poetic. We're not poets, Tarly. So, Josh, this is very interesting that we hear the Archmaester is writing up a chronicle of the history of the wars following the death of King Robert the First. And he is chronic what coals of Westeros. I feel like that's a better title. (laughs) Yeah. And so he has a name and Sam says, "Ah, I think I would go with something more poetic. 
potentially is maybe Sam, something little sing songy. Yeah, be good. Is he going to write this all up? And is Sam's finished product a song of ice and fire? I mean, I don't think that he's writing a song of ice and fire because a song of ice and fire, you know, the chapters are told in, you know, such vivid detail from the perspectives of each character. But it wouldn't shock me if this thing ends in some way with Sam chronicling the history of what's just happened. I mean, Sam, we've talked about, you know, we talked about in the preview shows, like who could be the next Hodor and like who could be like the next really surprising, upsetting, uh, emotional death of somebody who's just a good character and you just don't want that person to die in such a horrible way. Sam would be a candidate for that. But I would also say that Sam is one of the characters that I feel, I feel pretty good about making it all the way through this story. Um, And I know that this theory has been floating around for at least a year or so. Um, I think coming out of season six with uh, going to the Citadel for the first time and seeing sort of these, hanging ornaments from throughout the Citadel that look like the insignia of the Game of Thrones uh, that's featured in the Game of Thrones opening credits, that there were people who were starting to make those connections as well. And a lot of uh, ideas that maybe Sam is going to be the person who survives this whole thing and gets to tell the whole story of what happened in the years since Robert's Rebellion and all of the wars that happened there. And clearly that's bolstered with a scene like this, which could just be a throwaway. It could be just a jab at the fact that the Citadel does things really by the numbers. And there's not a lot of art to what they're doing. It's very scientific and mathematical almost in its approach, just very academic uh, and not a lot of art and soul to it. And I think that Sam is uh, is a great candidate for somebody to survive this whole thing who has seen so much, certainly knows a ton about what's happened in the ice department of things is a little disconnected from the fire department of a song of ice and fire. Uh, but I wonder, you know, now that he's hooked up with Jorah Mormont and we know how much Jorah Mormont loves Daenerys Targaryen. And if he is cured of grayscale would probably rush right back to Danny. Does Sam tag along with that? And does Sam get a front row view of the dragon aspect of this whole oh, thing? So, yeah. Oh, know, I like you know, this. I, You know, I think that there's definitely something to this. Like, I definitely think that, you know, if the conversation about how is Game of Thrones going to end and how is A Song of Ice and Fire going to end, uh, you know, George R. R. Martin has talked about he is striving for a bittersweet tone. And I think that it's very easy to see that that would be the direction that this story is going in, where, you know, some people are not going to make it. Many people will. Hopefully, for the most part, humanity will prevail And I think if that is the direction we're going, I think you could see a scenario where Sam is one of the guys, if not the guy standing at the end that gets to sort of categorize all of this and chronicle all of it. So I love the theory. I think it's great. How do you think that Jon Snow is going to react when his friend shows up and tells him that he has written a book about how that Jon Snow is this uh, Christ-like figure who is the savior of humanity, the prince who was promised. Do you think that he will react well to that news? Well, first, Sam's got to find out that John died. Like, as far <laughs> oh, yeah, as we know, know like, okay. he still doesn't know, as far as we can tell. I was just wondering if the book of John was coming out anytime soon. The book of John. Oh, I get it. I see. That's a, a leftovers joke. Got it. Well, you like it more it. than that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I just I wasn't paying attention well enough, I guess. Uh, yeah, I like it. I like it. I, are we going to see like Jon Snow like travel to some foreign hotel and, you know, become an assassin? I feel like that's already a little bit close to home for, for Jon. He needs to maybe put on the priest suit. The left hoders. The, le- 
<laughs> All right, you got it. Okay. You got it. All right, good. You good. did it. You Again, did it. we needed the it. title to be something more poetic. I think that that's yes, what the that's problem right. was. That's right. The left, the left hodors. Is <laughs> oh man, are we supposed to continue past that? Yeah, I got to keep just going. Five minute feedback show. Or, no, keep I going. Mean, keep going. We're not going to get any better than that. All right. Well, let's stick with Sam for a little while. This is from Robert Craig. Uh, Robert Craig asks. How did Sam know that John was king of the North and in Winterfell, but Arya didn't? In the season six finale, Sam delivers a note from Lord Commander Snow of the Night's Watch to the Citadel. Yet somehow he gets the news, but Arya doesn't get the news. What's your explanation for this, Rob? Why does Sam know about John being king in the North, but Arya hasn't heard this news? Well, to me, this doesn't strike me as odd in terms of that Sam knew something at the Citadel. I do feel like that there is, you know, some sort of a raven internet where stuff is going around. And you would think that news would travel, that the maester at Winterfell would send word back to the Citadel. And then that word would be sort of bandied about the lunch table at the Citadel. I feel like that that's probably the the group of people that would be the most connected to all the news going on yeah. in Westeros. That's like the yeah, you would uh, imagine, AP. Yeah, you would imagine that they would get that news pretty fast. Like if anyone's going to get that news wire first, like I feel like the Citadel is, is pretty close to the top of the list. Like King's Landing will probably catch wind of that too. But the Citadel, of course, and Arya's been on the road. You know, she hasn't really been checking her uh, her R mail, her Raven mail. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting that I do feel like that you could make this sort of comparison between Twitter and the Ravens that get sent about between the obvious bird imagery. You sort of like have to write like in a small note to have it fit all on that piece of paper. So you're kind of limited to 140 characters. They posted a few of these letters that were passed around in this episode on making of Game of Thrones dot com. They're behind the scenes blog. And yeah, it's like a couple of tweets, maybe like it's a it's like a, a tiny tweet storm, a tweet storm no. born. Like, oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> Cersei's on a tweet storm. She's got. <laughs> Going nuts. Everybody needs to come to King's Landing and bend the yeah. knee again. Every yeah. morning she wakes up and sends out all these tweets, which are literally birds that have her message. <laughs> From at real Cersei Lannister. <laughs> at Daenerys just tweeted to Jon Snow, hey, come or maybe it might be at Tyrion Lannister tweeted yeah. to uh, at Jon Snow. Uh, or did he have to change his Twitter handle to at Jon Stark? Yeah, well, I think at Jon Stark was taken already, so uh, you know, he maybe it's like at John Nick. underscore Stark or like at John Stark, like at the John Stark. Some some sort of variation, I think. Yeah. Variation. OK, so I get that. Now, in terms of Aria not knowing this, Josh, uh, it does seem as though that her news information is a little muddy because uh, she does seem to have some information about what's going on. Right. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't. She's she I think she's just so razor focused on uh, on going south at that point before she finds out about what's going on back home. I think that she is so dead set on she's killed the phrase. I think she was very focused on that. She was making pies. She was making plans. She was sending out invitations to all of the phrase. So I guess she was using the the Westeros equivalent of Twitter in order to get all the phrase under the under the same roof. What do we call that? I mean, is it just Twitter because it's Ravens, but it's like with a Y instead of the I to give it like some Game of Thronesy spelling. Yeah, let's think about that. Well, I mean, what does the Raven say? Nevermore? Is that the no- Nevermore. 
<laughs> yeah, that's the quote. Yes. <laughs> okay. So you, it's interesting that Arya, in her time uh, with the phrase, did not pick up any of the news from Winterfell. You would think that, you know, in the Riverlands, they were like, hey, did you hear what happened about the uh, Battle of the Bastards? Did you hear about this? So yeah. uh, not being talked about uh, with the phrase, but they had their own stuff to talk about. Is Sam ever going to find out that John died? Like, is that ever going to be a thing? Like, that's the thing that I'm hung up on is like the whole like we really just kind of brush past the fact that this guy was dead for like a solid like 18 hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, Sam wasn't at the Citadel when that happened. I don't know if that news traveled around with Maester Eamon passing away. I don't know. And Sam was responding and he took over. I don't know if there was a Maester at the wall anymore to send that information around. So that might have just got uh, news dumped on a Friday and then Sam just missed it. Yeah. But like even like going back to when Sansa went to Castle Black for the first time last season and like she and John are catching up like they never really talk about the fact that he died like it's just like not something that's really been brought up on the show. So uh, that's all that's all kind of strange to me, but we don't need to we don't need to get hung up on those details. Yeah, it's uncomfortable to bring up. It's a downer. It's awkward. Yeah. It's a downer. Um, all right. Well, let's stick with Sam's story and talk about Sam's patient. Let's talk about Jorah Mormont. And this is from Nolan Rossiter, who writes in, is Jorah a bit of a little baby getting his skin cut off during the grayscaleectomy? Just a few seasons ago, we saw an unsullied get his nipple cut off as a demonstration of their discipline and loyalty, and he didn't even flinch. Uh, I feel like we shouldn't be uh, we shouldn't be shaming Jorah Mormont for feeling very uncomfortable getting uh, his body scab healed off. Yeah, and not for nothing. What happened to Jorah's nipples? Like, I'm sorry to like really have to go there, but like, are they? Do they exist anymore? Oh, you are like, always on nipple like, watch, Josh. That's always been my thing. And, or, you know, it's one Male of my nipple. things. And Male I, nipple watch. <laughs> you know, it's... <laughs> I don't want to get you in trouble here. Oh, God. Yeah. I took the black on that one a long time ago. <laughs> I swore my oath. I swore my oath. But he's just got the grayscale all over <laughs> his watch chest. Your never very, ended. Right. It has never ended. I just, I'm very nervous about what's going on with Jorah's body right now. So, no, I'm, maybe I'm the little baby who is uh, flinching as I'm Jorah watching was this not Jorah a scene. baby. He was not. I don't think so either. Yeah. <laughs> they gave him some rum. They didn't even, like, a wait five minutes for it to kick in and said, here, bite on this stick. If I went for a body waxing, I would be screaming like Steve Carell, <laughs> the 40-year-old virgin. That's uh, exactly. Way more than Jorah was like, like, oh, (laughs) stop it. Yeah. Uh, That's not the only thing you have in common with Steve Carell from the 40 year old Virgin Rob. (laughs) Yes. Many things. Many things. He's also a Survivor fan. That's what I was alluding to. Yeah. I don't know. And we have a big toy collection as well. Big toy collection. Indeed. Uh, So, yeah, let's let's give Jorah a pass on this. And also uh, kudos to Ian Glenn, who I think really, really killed this scene. Like the the howling of Jorah Mormont. I'm I'm not going to forget that anytime soon. Just like the noises he was making. Mm -hmm. That really translates just like as if the visual on its own wasn't enough to let you know how much pain this guy was in. Just like the the scream acting that was going on there was fantastic. Josh, I didn't include this in our notes for this podcast, but a few people in both the comments and the emails wanted to know, why don't they offer Jorah milk of the poppy? Why don't they just talk, give him the option to be euthanized here with the grayscale? Um, well, is that what they're alluding to with like, you've got one day do with it, whatever you want? You know, is it kind of like you should probably just off yourself? Is that what the Archmaster is basically saying? 
I didn't get that from like you can, you know, do whatever you want, but I felt like that they have access to all this medicine here. Did they give him that choice of like, hey, we can sort of like end this painlessly or we're going to send you off to go live with the stone men? Right. Not for nothing, too. Like that feels like a lot of work to ship Jorah off to Valyria. Like that whole practice of like we just send everybody with grayscale to Valyria. Seems like a lot of work. Seems like a bad job also to be the uh, grayscale delivery guys. That sounds like an awful job. Yeah. Yeah. If you're just like one of the grayscale, you know, shipsmen. Right. Right. The freight shippers. Right. Yeah. It'd be bad. It'd be bad. That's a that's a that's a difficult gig. Uh, But yeah, I think I think that was the impression that I got was like, maybe you just want to like, you know, end it now and i kind of thought that that was like uh you know there was all these like shots of jorah looking at the sword in the room and i thought that that was maybe what they were what they were driving at but why no milk of the poppy maybe it's you know we're not going to expend any more you know resources on this guy who's already a lost cause like i don't feel like the archmaster i don't think it would take that much no I don't think so either, uh, but I think that like the Archmaster seems really icked out by Jorah Mormont <laughs> and really doesn't want to give him anything other than like free room and board for one more night. That's all that he wants. Okay. All right. Well, let's let's move on uh, from Jorah. Do you want to talk some Littlefinger, Rob? Love to talk Littlefinger. Let's talk some Littlefinger. Let's take this from Matt the Golem, big Littlefinger fan. Uh, Matt the Golem writes in and says, why is Littlefinger being given so little credit for saving Jon Snow and the Army of the North in the Battle of the Bastards? It was his victory more than anyone's. Secondly, what's it going to take for Lord Baelish to turn against the Starks? Both Sansa and Jon Snow treat him badly when he when all he's done is help them. Or has he already turned and next we see him, he will be plotting against the Starks. Uh, not for nothing, but all Littlefinger has done is help the Starks. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I feel like I feel like Ned would disagree. I do feel like that Sansa and John and Brienne that he's a little bit of the Jerry from Parks and Recreation in the North, where no matter where he goes or what he says, everybody's just like, "Oh, Littlefinger, you're so annoying, Lord Baelish. Yeah. Come on." <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I already know it- what you're gonna say. I already know what you're gonna say. You don't stop. It's because he's awful. You know, he's, he's, this guy's a bad guy. Littlefinger is a bad guy. Yes. He has, you know, he has, uh, he, he basically got Ned in the situation where Ned was eventually beheaded. Uh, he has, you know, he pushed Lysa Aaron through the moon door. And I guess maybe we're not that mad about that one. Uh, he did play a big role in Joffrey's assassination. You know, the more I'm thinking about, maybe Littlefinger isn't such a bad guy. Like that was a really <laughs> yeah. cool thing that he did there. He's done some good, done some bad. But Josh, that nobody's denying that he is an unsavory character, but he is a powerful guy. He is the warden of the Vale, right? So he is, I mean, yes. he commands the Knights of the Vale at this point in time. So maybe everybody should stop treating him like a total dingus and uh, just sort of like at least like be a little deferential to him. Like take a meeting, you know, like yeah. take a meeting with Littlefinger. Don't I feel piss like him off. Fair. That being said, really, really creepy to go up to Jon Snow in the crypts of Winterfell uh, and to say, I really, really, really was into your uh, to your stepmom. Yeah. You know, like I was really into Catelyn 
And I really, really like Sansa, your I little sister, your in the exact same way. Like, that was so creepy. I love your so, like, sister. Yeah, like, bad job on Littlefinger. Like, if he's trying to woo Sansa, and he's trying to get Jon's acceptance, and he delivers this information in the creepiest way possible. <laughs> like, literally in a crypt is where he is, like, announcing his love for Jon's sister. Uh, so... Not a great look for Littlefinger. I think bad job on a lot of people this week. We haven't talked a lot about what was John doing down there. He was just like looking at Ned's statue and being like, hmm, okay, I'm about to go to Dragonstone. So wish me luck, Dad. Yeah, I think pretty much, you know, I don't I don't think that he's really had a moment with uh, with his father or like really to, to consider yeah, his I guess father and just think about him in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just paying his respects. Okay. You know, respect going down there and, and checking it out. Kind of, uh, I mean, I guess I'd have to go back and, and watch the, the scene to see if this exists, but I'm a little surprised that there wasn't like any shot of John next to like the Liana statue or anything mm-hmm. like that while he was down in the crypt. That would have been nice. Yeah. When did they work on the Ned statue? Who was in charge of that project? Yeah, you got to wonder. I mean, look, if uh, if Euron Greyjoy could have a thousand ships built between mid-season six and the second episode of season seven, and frankly, it looked like pretty close to a thousand in the premiere as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, I don't think that we should begrudge the uh, the stonemason. Mr. Lewin was working on it in his downtime. Yeah. Remember Maester Lewin? Yeah, he was great. He was a good guy. He was great. Uh, Brendan of House Fitzy has more on Littlefinger. This is Sir Brendan says, John leaving Winterfell with Sansa in charge is exactly what Littlefinger wanted, right? So what do you figure that Littlefinger has planned now that John is out of the way? John's threats mean nothing if he's not there to enforce it. So will Littlefinger secretly send word to Cersei that John is at Dragonstone and then try to get John killed? Do you think that that's Littlefinger's next move? Now that John is out of Winterfell, is Littlefinger going to make any sort of uh, you know, collaborative play with Cersei. Like now's your time to get the king in the north. He's over there with your other other enemy. I feel like that Littlefinger's play might be more to appeal to everybody in the north and push Sansa to have some sort of a open rebellion against John. Talk about how, hey, what do we need him for? Especially if they send the wildlings off to go to Eastwatch. So maybe it would just be the people in the north plus the Knights of the Vale. While John's away, they can sort of just unite and say like, hey, Jon Snow is taking us in a bad direction. Let's just take care of ourselves here. Sansa should be the ruler, the queen in the north. And then when Jon Snow comes back, we'll just tell him that we don't need him. Yeah, like, go away. You're not wanted go here. Away. You're, You're embarrassing you us. You the wrong last name. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's weird that you died and came back to life and none you of us were a felt bastard. really comfortable Sansa about it. Sansa is a true-born yeah. Stark. Uh, even We know that you're not technically not a bastard, but you still kind of are. So maybe Littlefinger is pushing in that direction to just uh, really stoke the flames between Sansa and John and try to get the North on Team Sansa. He's stoked on Hot Pie. Uh, yeah, I think whatever Littlefinger does next is exciting. Uh, it's been a, a quiet season for him. He's trying to to get a word in edgewise with anybody he can at this point, and it just really hasn't happened for him yet. Now that John is out of the way, I feel like the lines of communication are going to be a bit more open. Unless Brienne is really going to police that, you know, unless she's really going to be the one who's like, nope, still can't talk to Sansa. But I feel like she's going to be occupied with other business. So uh, should be a freer little finger that we're going to be seeing 
in the next week or two. Um, excited about that. Always fun to see scheming, scheming Baelish. I mean, do you as they feel, call him? Yeah. Do you feel like it's like slipping Jimmy? Uh, do you <laughs> yeah, exactly. feel like Brienne is going to be against the idea of Sansa being the head honcho in the North? I think Sneaky Pete is actually his name. Um, Mm, no, I don't think so. Do yeah. you? No, I just was wondering uh, if you felt like that Brienne was going to sort of like be the fly in the ointment here for Littlefinger. I know she doesn't trust Littlefinger, but is she going to be against the idea of Sansa taking on more agency in terms of running the North? No, I think Brienne is really faithful to Sansa. And pretty much whatever Sansa wants, Brienne is going to follow that through. I think that she has, you know, taken her oath to Catelyn Stark incredibly seriously, obviously, to find the daughters and to protect them at all costs. And that didn't work out so much with Arya, though maybe she's going to get a second shot at that with Arya heading back north. But she certainly is uh, taking it very seriously with regards to Sansa. And I think that you could see maybe Brienne being... um, uh, like Davos-esque towards Sansa, like, you know, the way that Davos is kind of John's right hand right now. Mm. I think that you could see Brienne serving a similar role for Sansa, although I don't know how she's going to be with sort of like the measured politicking. She definitely is a little bit more righteous than than Davos in that way. Uh, but Sansa, that being said, is definitely a, a shrewder politician than John is, I think. Uh, so maybe the power balance actually isn't so isn't so off. So I don't know. I'm curious to see what the politics of Winterfell are now that John is gone. How long is he going to be gone? Is he going to be gone for any meaningful amount of time where we're really going to get some forward momentum in this Queen in the North storyline and whatever Littlefinger's going to do? It's an enigma to me right now, but I'm excited to see where it goes. I think John's got to be one and done going down to Dragonstone because he's got to come back up to the North. You, th- you would think so. Yeah. So that's why I'm wondering, like, you know, the sort of the gravity of the moment of like giving the crown temporarily to Sansa is like, you know, what is the what is the big deal here? Like, where are we going with this story? So uh, excited. Yeah. To find out. Potentially he comes back. He's not welcome there. And then he ends up going to go join the wildlings contingent in terms of uh, battling back the White Walkers. So Maybe that could just be like a pit stop on his way because you feel like that the narrative ultimately is pushing John to back towards the Night's King, right? Oh, yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. We'll see. We'll Those see. guys are going to fight and it's going to be cool. The fight king. Getting cold. Yeah, it's going to be very cold. Uh, let's talk about uh, we talked about Queen Sansa. Let's talk about Queen Danny for a little while. Your friend and mine, Rob, Steve Davis. Yes. Has a voicemail for us about. Daenerys Targaryen. Hey guys, Steve Davis in LA calling in. Daenerys is getting a little cocky these days. She's going to need Jon now just as much as he needs her. But even before her fleet got smashed, do you think she should be telling him to bend the knee? She used to remember that her father sent the same message to Jon's grandfather, and he was burned alive. It was even mentioned to, by Sansa in this episode. With that bl- bad blood in the past... Don't you think someone like Tyrion should step in and say, maybe we don't tell this guy to bend the knee after the Mad King did what he did? Wonder what you guys think. Thanks. Steve has a good point, Josh, that Tyrion as a student of history might have thought better about that tweet before it got sent out. Yeah, but I think I think, though, that Tyrion probably knows better than to tell Daenerys, like, don't tell him to bend the knee. Like if Daenerys is saying like he's going to come here and he's going to bend the knee, I think Tyrion is probably wise to just like let Daenerys like kind of like puff up her chest a little bit in that regard and just be like, okay, she wants fealty. She wants loyalty. 
I'm going to send the tweet to to John. I'm going to craft the perfect 140 character response to John to get him to come down to Dragonstone. And then I'm going to add like a secondary tweet that lets him know that this is coming from the same guy that he traveled to the wall with. So I think like he's giving him that like little personal touch. And then who knows what the situation is going to be like when John and Danny actually meet. It's really anybody's guess. They're both headstrong people. Um, so they could be, you know, very much, you know, set in their ways in terms of John wanting to drop everything that doesn't have to do with, you know, fi- fighting the Night King and fighting the White Walkers. And Danny might want nothing more than fealty. And I think situationally, Tyrion is going to be flexible enough to kind of like calm both sides. He's the deal maker here. He's the peacemaker here sure. when it comes to this relationship. So I'm not that worried about it. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much, uh, you know. But as hand of the queen, isn't he doing her a disservice? Isn't it possible she may not have that whole backstory where he could say to her, funny story, Khaleesi, actually, your dad actually did something that's very similar to this with actually uh, Brandon Stark, and he summoned them down there, and that kind of set off this whole thing with Robert's Rebellion, and so, let's just get him down here, that's not a good idea? I mean, isn't that his role? Well, it- in a perfect world, yeah, but I feel like even if he says that, I think Daenerys is kind of going to be like, all right, well, then that's on him if he doesn't want to come and bend the knee. You know, that's totally John. Sounds like Jon Snow needs us more than we need him. So, you know, I feel like, you know, he could say that, and I think Danny would probably still hold to her point of like, yeah, you know, I think that he probably should still come down here and swear fealty. Like, I don't know why that would be enough to to get Danny to, like, give John the pass here. Uh, I don't think that she likes the idea of somebody running around Westeros calling themselves the king of anything. She wants to straighten that out lickety split. Yeah. To me, she's just so headstrong about certain things. I really feel like that Danny is due for a fall. She's getting a little too big for her britches, Josh. Well, maybe one of these dragons is due for a fall after they get shot with a thousand nerf crossbows. (laughs) That's certainly possible, too. If you hit them with enough, eventually, like in the eye or something, it's going to cause some problems. Let's stick on John and Danny for just a second. This is from Stephanie. She says, I'm totally shipping John and Danny. What do you think? Will they or won't they get together and make little dragon babies when John gets to Dragonstone? How do we think this is going to go? It's a lot of pressure on the first meeting. That's a lot of pressure on the first meeting, of course. But I think, you know, it's not hard to imagine why John and Danny would be attracted to each other. Uh, they're both powerful people. They're both very beautiful people. They're smart. They're clever. They're good leaders. Uh, they have a lot of clout on both sides of the aisle here. There's one problem. They're related. Uh, but, she's his aunt. You know, has that, that kind of uncomfortable? Anybody in this story before? Um, yeah, I would Especially say like, I mean, a Targaryen. Like, the Lannisters are more exception to than the rule. And certainly there is uh, there is a history of incest within the Targaryen uh, family. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Daenerys does not really she she's not super tapped into her Targaryen history. I don't right. think she used to have to ask like Barry the Bold to like give her like bedtime stories of what's going on in my in my family tree. And John does not yet know that he's a Targaryen. And if he were to find that out before meeting Danny, which doesn't seem likely at this point or over the course of meeting Danny, like I don't think this is going to be a guy who's like super thrilled about, you know, doing it with a relative. I right. feel like that would be uncomfortable for him. Now, that being said, Josh, he does not know that they are related. Could they meet? 
could they hit it off? Sort of, you know, almost like a Luke and Leia, a new hope that there's definitely some kissing going on. Could, Awkward, yes. <laughs> could a new song of Ice and Fire... Well, really, actually, that that would uh, be very complicated. But could there be a baby that is uh, at least conceived at this meeting? And then John somewhere down the road is like, oh, my God, I've made a terrible mistake. I mean, if they if uh, if they knock boots and create a baby in uh, their first meeting, I feel like that's going to be jumping the dragon just a little. <laughs> okay. It happens a lot, especially in prestige yeah. TV. That happens. I guess it does happen. So who knows? I mean, I do I do expect that there's probably going to be an attraction between these two. I think ultimately they're going to get on the same side, and I don't think it'll take a crazy long time for the two of them to see eye to eye. I think that there's just too much business and too little time for them to really go at it in a, in, you know, a conflict-heavy way, at least. Uh, but I feel like also very, very soon for them to just, uh, you know, yada, yada past like the first few dates and just like hop straight to yeah. it. But both are uh, romantically available a, uh, in the series. Also, they are. They are both romantically available right now. Uh, it'd be fun and it would be it would be uncomfortable and we would all know something that they don't know. And that would make this like even more uh, a, a little more sketchy <laughs> to behold. All right. Well, let's uh, let's talk about uh, another hot number on Game of Thrones right now. Uh, the Euron Greyjoy. Uh, we've got this from Bat Leon, who is not exactly feeling the whole Euron found Yara thing uh, so easily. This is from Bat, who says, uh, Euron finding Yara's fleet is a big leap. I looked at my wife and said, how did he know she was there? We speculated that maybe there's a leak in Danny's camp, though we couldn't figure out who would have the motive for that. Uh, so, Rob, you and I talked about the possibilities of uh, of leakers or yeah, bugs even Varys. at Dragonstone. Sure. Uh, but but do you have any further thoughts on the ease with which Euron found Yara? Is it just that's convenient storytelling? We just kind of got to get there. Is it that the the narrow sea is really not that vast? And if you're as good of a uh, pirate and navigator as Euron Greyjoy, maybe you're going to find Yara. Yeah, let me give credit to Knox Harrington, who left us a voicemail, who had a good line about how I know it's the narrow sea, but I mean, it's still a sea. How are they running into each other? And I think it's probably just that we have to just agree that this was just a convenience in the plot. But Josh, I know that Euron Greyjoy, certainly more so in the books, has been associated with sorcery and magic to some degree. Is that a possibility that he knows more than a mortal should in terms of how to track people and find them? I don't think so, at least on the show. I mean, the fact that we haven't heard anything about a dragon horn or dragon binder or anything like that with the Euron story does tell me I think that this is, you know, a, a pretty grounded version of the guy, especially compared to who he is uh, reputed to be in the book. And they're combining a little bit of another Greyjoy brother who exists in the books, but not on the show, a character named Victorian Greyjoy, who is like a real kind of like barbaric viking-esque uh member of the Greyjoy family who is also you know very much a seafaring guy he's got this massive battle axe that he goes into battle with and so that was given to Euron on the show so I think that there's there's aspects of that character that are on Euron on the show and I think all of the supernatural stuff seems to be gone 
So I don't think that that has anything to do with the the fact that he was able to track down Yara. But I do think that there has to be sort of this sense of Euron as kind of a nightmare figure. You know, I do think that we have our question answered from the preseason of like, who's going to be the new Ramsey? Who's going to be the new Joffrey? Like, who's going to be that human face of evil that you're just terrified to see every time they're on screen? And I think that this big battle sequence at the end of Stormborn did a lot of business in that regard to to make Euron just like such like a terrifying figure, the way that he's just like howling as he comes onto the ship or the way that he's just like, you know, his teeth are stained with blood as he's laughing after Theon has jumped over the ship. I think that this is just somebody who has to kind of feel like a boogeyman. Like this is somebody who has to feel like somebody when you go to sleep, you have horrible dreams that are haunted by this person. Oh, no. uh, I I think that the show is doing a good job in that regard. And I, I don't know that it feels like it needs to really explain in granular detail how Euron found Yara. I think it's just supposed to speak to the scope of how dangerous this guy is. The one thing with Euron, though, that I feel like has not stuck with me is in terms of if he is going to bring Cersei a gift, as he promised in that first episode, and if that gift is Hilarious Sand. How did he know? Like, I, I, I'm not even upset about that he ran into this other Greyjoy fleet who was fleeing Dragonstone. Was he just headed to Dragonstone to invade Dragonstone to go and bring Alarius Sand or Daenerys to Cersei? And they just happened to find the ship right. with Alarius Sand? I mean, it was so dark. How did he know who she was or what she was doing there? You know, maybe he knows Yara's ship. You know, you know, he did watch them all sail away. He is a Greyjoy. He is an Iron Islander. Uh, and he's certainly sailing with people from the Iron Islands who would also know which one is Yara. So I'm not that hung up on, on and that And I get the, the, the Yara part, but how does he know from anything that Ilaria Sand is going to be on this ship and to bring her to Cersei? Well, I think that that might be a bonus. Like, I think that might be the thing. I think that the gift is as simple as like, let me go like destroy a ton of ships for you. Uh, Let me go like make a real impact on their fleet. Uh, And that in itself should be a gift. And let me present you with like the captain of their fleet. And then I think, you know, the cherry on top is, uh, oh, there were there were sand snakes there, too. I killed a bunch of them. And here is the, you know, the person in charge of Dorne right now. Uh, Congratulations. This is just an extra gift. So I, I don't know that that's necessarily the thing that she was he was after. I think it was more like, let me make a dent in Daenerys's army and uh, come back with with that being like the win. The win is the gift. OK, but we'll find out for sure. We'll get clarification as soon as episode three, uh, at least in terms of like what in his mind the gift was, I'm sure. Uh, another thing on Euron, this is from Robert, who left us a voicemail wondering where Euron's story is going to go next. Hey, Robin, Josh, this is Robert Lanehart from Salt Lake City, Utah. I really enjoyed the new look Euron Greyjoy this season, but I'm a bit confused about where his story is going. Pilo Espect, the actor who plays Euron, said that his storyline keeps getting better and better, but I'm not sure how this is going to happen. Where do you think his storyline is going? And if Alaria is the gift to please Cersei, what do you think he'll be doing with Yara? Interested to hear your guys' thoughts. Thanks. Josh, what's Euron doing next? At some point, he's dying, right? Like, this guy dies for sure. This season? You don't think he makes it to season eight? I think he could make it to season eight, uh, but he doesn't make it out of Game of Thrones alive. Mm-hmm. Guaranteed. I think he sits on the Iron real... Throne. I think he would walk yeah, away. Is that right? Yeah, it's all Euron's story. <laughs> well, I do wonder, you know, he's coming back with the gift. He's obviously probably going to, you know, repropose marriage to Cersei. Do we get 
the gray wedding. Oh. Like, do we get do we get to see like Euron and Cersei get married at some point? Will Euron become the king of the seven kingdoms at Jamie least as will be far so as like pissed. King's Landing perspective? Yeah. He's gonna be furious, Jamie. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. Uh I think that that would be fun. It's good, right? I feel like that would be fun. It's been a while since we've had like a real good wedding scene on on Game of Thrones. Those are always interesting. Yeah. And I do feel like in some way that him and Cersei would be an interesting match because I kind of feel like that they are on some level equals where she had such disdain for Robert. And even with Jamie, she talks down to him. I feel like that he's not going to stand for that. He's too much of an alpha. You're on Greyjoy. Well, the other thing too is like, wouldn't be surprised if Euron's like, by the way, Cersei, like, I definitely know that you and your brother are a thing. Like, everybody knows, and that's clearly just an established fact at this point. Uh, I hope I made it clear that when I was talking to you in the throne room the other day, like, I'm a fan of Jamie Lannister. Like, I'm a, uh, like, this could be an open thing. Whoa. Like, I could, like, this could be like a, like a, a power of three. Euron is that, that cool? Here. Yeah, he might be. He seems like, you know, uh, he's, he's a red he's viper, open-minded. maybe, but uh, you're on Greyjoy. I don't know. I think that he'd be into it. Okay. He seemed to really like Jamie, is all I'm saying. <laughs> I thought, yeah, he was What do you think about him? that? Like a power trio, a power trio of Jamie, Cersei, and Euron. Boy, what, what is this? Jamie House of Cards, Josh? <laughs> yeah, Euron is Beecham. <laughs> uh, that's a lot. That's a lot there. Yeah. Now look, seriously. Now look, uh, Sam is going to need to have uh, (laughs) some interesting uh, plot points in this story. Yeah. So I don't don't know. I I do think uh, like a gray wedding could be something that we could see. I like that. that, I uh, like that part. I think think that would be fun. And I think that putting that guy in that position of power for at least a little while would be be compelling to watch. All right. Well, Josh, a lot of fun stuff to think about heading into uh, the next episode. Uh, What do you want to do for the hashtag gray wedding is uh coming along at the very end uh left hodor was from yeah, earlier I don't, think, I don't think we could do anything other than left hodor okay, left hodors. there you go all right <laughs> so josh sunday night we will uh be back Stephen fishback and i after the episode at 10 15 p.m eastern time of course you can read all of josh wiggler's coverage the rest of this week and then of course after the next episode at the hollywood reporter josh wiggler is on twitter at round Howard. I'm at Rob Sister and Josh. Anything else you want to say before we sign off today? No, uh, we're signing off here and just some inside baseball. I'm 45 minutes away from speaking with Yaron Greyjoy himself. Oh. So uh, I'll be I'll be sure to ask him what uh, what a gray wedding would entail. Yeah, ask him about the open marriage thing. See what his uh, take yeah, is on we'll, that. We'll see. Let's, let's see how the tone of the conversation goes. If it feels playful enough, maybe we'll go there. And let me read you our uh, review of the week. You can leave us your feedback and star ratings in the iTunes store at postshowrecaps.com slash G-O-T iTunes. This is from iPhone 7533, who describes... Definitely sounds like a real person, for sure. This podcast as the lords of the podcast. Five stars. Rob Sesternino and Josh Wiggler are my go-to GOT source for entertainment and information. Wiggler writes for The Hollywood Reporter and knows The Veil as well as anyone. Is that true? Um, I probably don't know it as well as Mord. Mm-hmm. Remember Mord? Yeah. Yeah, one of the I Hill people. really knew The Veil. Right. Yeah. The live poster recap every Sunday night is great for asking questions about what I just saw and the deep dive and feedback shows during the week. Keep my appetite wet for the next episode. If you're a GOT fan, this is the best podcast to stay ready for winter. Thank you.
Wow. Yeah, I have to agree. I do think that this is the single greatest podcast just in history. Uh, yes. In human history, right. this is the one. So we do appreciate those feedback and star ratings at posterrecaps.com slash GOT iTunes. Looking forward to a Sunday night, the Queen's Justice. The Queen's Justice. Do you have predictions? Mm, I feel like that the Queen is going to be Sansa. I feel like that this is going to be a Sansa's Justice episode. What's the justice going to be? I don't know. Could it just be Littlefinger going down? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know what his next move is. Early. I feel like he's running out of moves. Feels early. Yeah. He's, yeah, you know, he's kind of backed into a corner here. But I think uh, I think, I think, think we'll start to see some maneuvering from Littlefinger this week. I'm excited. All right. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.